eyes peeled, everyone. It's time for the full 10 Yards College Football Podcast. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Full 10 Yards College Football Podcast. Back again for another week discussing the goings on in the college football world. And we're going to talk about some teams who just simply don't get talked about enough. So, yeah, we're here with Maxwell uh, to do that, to go through that with us. Maxwell, bring you in. How are you, mate? You okay? Yeah, all good. Another uh, fascinating weekend of college football. So, looking forward to getting into it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we'll just dive straight into that. There's a few interesting games, a few interesting results. I think uh, the top 25 was given quite a big shake-up by uh, a few of the big results that we we saw a few big shocks, uh, none other than Texas dropping all the way out of the top 25 from 15 and after their loss. Uh, there were a couple of other shocks as well that we'll go into. So why don't we start with that one, actually? Um, let's start off with the Texas game. Did you, have you seen any of this so far? Yeah. I mean, obviously, the big news is that Ellinger threw four picks mm. um, and TCU have had a very up and down year. Um, got a got a victory which no one was really expecting. I think it was actually more, you know, it was there was a bigger shock from Texas's perspective because because TCU have lost three games already. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things that's underrated is how well some of the opposition has played against TCU, but um, undoubtedly that's the worst performance we've seen from Ellinger. And, um, you know, a, a big shock, but also um, some people would say um, not surprising. Uh, and Maybe he's regressing to the mean, as it were. Yeah, a little bit. I've obviously been, I wouldn't say I've been a detractor of his, but I've maybe asked people to pump the brakes a little bit on him. Uh, I feel like he's a bit of a good college quarterback, a good fun prospect to kind of watch and, and kind of watch play on a Saturday, but I don't feel like he's going to make any noise at the next level. And yeah, like you say, he's maybe regressing back to the mean. And uh, yeah, TCU coming up with a good victory there. Um, so yeah, no, I, I guess it's like one of those things where we expect TCU to be a bit better than than they have been, I would say. Um, and they've lost to a couple of teams that we've meant, that we'll mention a little bit later on. Um, and yeah, maybe this is just a battle of kind of two middling teams now in the in the uh, Big Twelve because you know we've got a couple of big teams that we mentioned. Uh, Baylor, obviously, you've written about Baylor, and um, obviously. Yeah. Kind of in the areas that Texas and TCU want to be, and that's not something that we expected prior to the season. No, and and as I said, like some of TCU's losses, um, unfortunately, without them having a terrible year, has just been because they've met a good team on a good day, like mm-hmm. SMU, who we're going to talk about later. Mm-hmm. They they put up loads of points on them just because they had a fantastic day. Iowa State's offense came out flying, and they lost to Kansas State as well, who. Um, who uh, you know they've had a couple of big wins this year. So um, so yes, they they're middling. Um, the more surprising thing was Texas, especially considering we'd seen them push Oklahoma and LSU so close. But I think really that offense, um, when you slow down the run game and you put it all on Ellinger's arm, mm-hmm. they are they're limited, unfortunately. Yeah, this is. I think this. Before, I don't really want to get into a. A situation where we're sort of talking down Sam Ellinger too much, but this is one of the things I think I've been quite vocal about in the past is that I think Texas trust him a bit too much and trust him a bit too much to be a runner. And obviously, once you shut that down, as you say, I think you can kind of slow the cogs of that machine quite a lot, I would say. It's something then to work on moving forward. But we'll move on to the, another big clash in the Big 12 uh, next and move on to Kansas State, obviously, you've just mentioned, who... Um, 
shocked the world, I would say, I guess, with, by beating Oklahoma. Oklahoma, yeah. obviously, someone that, that a team that we've spoke about quite a lot throughout the season and someone who I thought would go and beat and Jalen Hurts would win the Heisman. And, and it's kind of, you know, obviously, the beating obviously has gone straight away, but this has put massive dent in Jalen Hurts' Heisman aspirations, I would say. What about you? I mean, look at the box score. You know, he had another three rushing touchdowns. He had 400 mm-hmm. yards passing. You know, if you just look at his stats, um, no, you know, no interceptions, no, mm-hmm. no fumbles from him. Uh, actually, he did fumble one, I think, but they didn't lose it. Um, you look at that and you go, you know, oh wow, he's had another good game. Um, but yeah. it, uh, he did get shut down in the first half. And if you were, if they were to break down the. The, the scores for you know the first half and the second half um, he he had he got slowed down a lot and I think um, we saw in Kansas State what a very well drilled um, defense can do just by getting a couple of stops because at the end of the day obviously Jalen Hurts still put up forty one points yeah sure yeah but um, but Kansas State really um, showed some of the um, weaknesses of the Oklahoma defense and really you look at this team now and you think even if they do get into the playoffs are they going to be a contender because um, James Gilbert the, the lead running back for Kansas State ran for over eight yards a carry mm. and they couldn't they couldn't stop him you know um, the quarterback had four rushing touchdowns in close quarters you know it, that was they that was on plays where they knew he was going to run the ball as well yeah sure so we've praised Alex Alex Grinch before but um uh, I think it's less of a of a knock on Jalen Hurts and more of a knock on Oklahoma's chances at the crown. It's I've, I've felt like sometimes throughout the season that the podcast has kind of put the kiss of death on a few people. We kind of talk people <laughs> up and then uh, and yeah. kind of the opposite as well. I remember further on in the season I was talking to Thomas about UCLA and how Chip Kelly's not getting it right and then they pulled out that amazing victory against uh, Washington State where they came back from a huge deficit. Mm. Uh, so yeah, maybe maybe it's uh, <laughs> maybe it's the podcast that's putting the kiss of death on people. I don't know, but yeah, I mean, like you say, if they're just taking the numbers and and sort of the standalone value of of what he does, then maybe it's not as big a dent in Jalen Hurts. But I think losing to a a lowly ranked team and they weren't ranked in the top twenty five before this win uh, could could dent his his prospects a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see how our voters feel, and and obviously one of the things. Uh, well, we'll get onto it, but you know there are other guys who mm. are still soaring. Um, yeah, oh yeah, definitely, and, and haven't lost a game. So mm. when it comes down to it, if um, certainly if they if they if they were to go and on win everything, then then maybe you know he's right back in the discussion. Sure. Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, it is a knock on him, undoubtedly. Mm. Let's move over to the Big Ten, and Michigan obviously came back with a nice win against their, yeah, I guess they are big rivals, aren't they, even though they're not conference rivals in the Notre Dame fight in Irish. Quite a big win, 45-14 uh, to 14 over there, and yeah, a big win for Michigan, and it kind of puts them, I don't know, it's obviously not back in contention, because obviously we'll talk about a few Big Ten teams later on, and we've got quite a few unbeaten teams in that conference, but kind of make, get some a bit of pride back, I would say, after you know a few big losses. Definitely some pride. Definitely a massive, massive, um, uh, you know, pro for Harbour and what he's mm. doing this year. Because I think um, some people, uh, totally wrongly in my opinion, you know, were calling for his head a little bit after um, a couple of those losses. Because um, <clears throat> obviously they had the Iowa win in the middle mm-hmm. where they only won 10-3. Um, so, you know, they haven't had a great year from, from what they wanted to be and what they wanted to do this year. 
Mm. Um, but yeah, it was a statement win. Um, you know, they only passed the ball 14 times. Um, so it was really a, you know, big boy football. They, they ran yeah. the ball down Notre Dame's throat and their, their front six uh, were dominant. Like uh, they held uh, Notre Dame to one and a half yards of rush mm. and the D-line was just going after it. They, they had something to prove that day. Um, so um, it's great to see uh, Don Brown's defense come out fighting again because we haven't seen it really all year. No, that is very true, actually. That is very true indeed. And yeah, I think I'd join you on the kind of thing that's been a bit harsh on, on John Harbour or Jim Harbour, sorry, excuse me, a little bit in the way that he's been treated a lot by Michigan fans. There's quite a lot of over expectation, I think, with that program, given its history. And you know, you're always, although Michigan fans won't like to admit this, they're always going to play second fiddle to Ohio State you know, at the moment with the talent they've got and the way that they're playing. So I think you know, like, I think it's sensible to temper those expectations. And we'll obviously talk about a couple more teams in the Big Ten, so I'll not speak too much, who are kind of ahead of Michigan at the moment by, by quite a way, I would say. So just before we say yeah. too much on the Big Ten and Michigan, let's move over to the Pac-12. And obviously a big win for Oregon over Washington State by a couple of points. And this is obviously big in concern, in, in with concern to the college football playoff and how the Pac-12 is going to, you know, shake out. Obviously, being a big Pac-12 advocate, I was kind of hoping that Oregon sort of went went ahead, won, won all the games throughout the whole season. But obviously, that's not happened with that that loss that they suffered earlier on. And I thought that was the the nailing, you know, not the nail in the coffin, but it it was a big dent already to have lost so early, especially to Auburn. Yeah. Who, yeah. You know, they might be fighting alongside for a place um, to come the end of the season. And then obviously it was Utah and Utah lost. And now it's 7-1 and one for both of these teams. And they're looking good. They're playing good football and scraping, you know, some good wins together. So, um, yeah, I'm feeling a bit more positive, a lot more positive about Justin Herbert. And, you know, the start of this one was actually CJ Vidal, who went absolutely insane for 257 yards over 11 yards a clip and three touchdowns. But yeah, this is another one, isn't it, where it was kind of big boy football, uh, everyone's running on from Oregon's side, and then you know the complete opposite, obviously, with the air raid of Washington State. It was uh, the meeting of two sort of styles, and uh, yeah, one one out, I guess. Yeah, totally. I think um, it was it was a fascinating game to watch. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was one of my uh, favourite Pac-12 games I've watched all year, because as much as Washington State haven't had the best year, you know, they are always an exciting offence, mm, and their defence is getting... Yeah, and their defense has been getting a little bit better. You know, they again talking about Alex Grinch. They they had a brilliant couple of years with him as their defensive coordinator, and this year they really had a slow start, <clears throat> and they weren't giving their offense much help. Obviously, a UCLA game giving up seventy points or whatever <laughs> is a good example of that. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, it was great to see uh, a Washington State side. Um, you know, really um, turn up and play a big game. And then to see a, a, an Oregon offense just take over. Like you said, C.J. Vidal in that pistol run game, mm. um, he, he's so patient and so good at like, reading his blocks. It's it's fun to watch. Mm. And, uh, and Herbert just knows how to execute that offense. I mean, I tweeted about it in the week, yeah. um, about how much of the offense is, is schemed beautifully for him um it's really not a knock on him because he does do it perfectly um you know he was pretty much flawless uh, mm. you know he had a good pass array and um he, he completed a lot of third third and longs um and uh, he came back with one minute to play and finished them off um and again it was beautiful play calling a uh, great team to watch and i think we're all 
Every, from everyone I speak to, everyone's rooting for Oregon. I think everyone wants Oregon to get that fourth spot now. Mm. <laughs> I don't know what it is about SEC, but it's almost like the um, the anti-SEC parade is out there. <laughs> yeah, um, a little bit. Yeah, but I think the the there is a Pac-12 championship game this year, isn't there? And um, yes, and uh, if it's looking right now like it could be Utah Oregon, um, and and one that would be a really fun game. Um, and two, maybe it means one of those sides gets their chance in the playoffs. Yeah, definitely. And it'd be a really fun game, especially because it'd be Utah's D versus this, like I said, this well-oiled machine and Justin Herbert mm-hmm. and the offense. And it's a, it's a game that's not being played this year in the regular season as well. So it'd be, it wouldn't be one of those things where they are. They've got their eye in against each other. It's kind of a one one sort of shot at each other takes all kind of thing, which would be quite yeah. Fun. It's always funner, isn't it, when it's the first time they've played. Mm. Um, you know, we, we saw that Georgia Bama replay a couple of years ago, which was like a, a weird um, Elseworld game. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but I think the only the only thing I'd say stands out is that um, Oregon um, have got to play USC, who beat Utah. Um, and as much as I don't think USC are the you know they're not the world beaters or anything, mm. um, they are a frisky team and yeah, sure. um, yet another tough game for Oregon. Um, I think Utah's biggest challenge is going to be Washington next week as well. So if they both come out of next weekend with a, a win, um, then I think uh, I think that will be our championship game. This is it, isn't it? It's always a gauntlet in the Pac-12. Once you get into these yeah. conference matchups, it's always really difficult ones to call. I would say the whole way through. Of course, of course it is. It's never easy. No. Um, and, and they've all got their own strengths, you know, so mm-hmm. that's why they all beat each other. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Conference of carnivores, as they say. Um, we will, we'll be talk- I'm going to actually pose you a couple of questions in, in conjunction of sort of with regards to the sort of fourth place team. So we'll sort of leave that there until our, uh, we'll move into our next section of the pod, which we're going to uh, talk about teams that, you know, need a little bit more respect putting on their name. Uh, you know, teams that are flying on the radar a little bit and, uh, you know, things that we've noticed and, and uh, yeah, we're going to bring that to your attention now. So we've got uh, we've got five teams to talk about between two of us. Um, Maxwell's got three and I've got a couple. Um, and yeah, so we'll just dive in straight to that. So Maxwell, who's the first team that you want to kind of draw some more attention to in the college football world? Okay, um, so let's kick it off with the SMU Mustangs. Um, you know, they are uh, an amazing story of college football. They're a team that's been very up and down through the years. Mm-hmm. And right now they're sitting ranked 15th place. Um, they're in the American West Conference we talked about before. So they've got yes. a couple of really good good teams in that in that division in Memphis and Tulane, um, who they've still got to play both those sides before the end of the year. Um, but they've beaten some really good teams in TCU, as I mentioned before. Um, they they played a really uh, handy Tulsa offense. They played a Temple side who have had a great year, and then this last weekend they just beat Houston. So they've beat a bunch of good teams, and not only that, they have some players who are lighting it up. To be honest, um, mm, Shane yeah, Bocelli is you know a, a guy who many people would have heard of before and and seen him play. I think he was a uh, originally um texas guy that's right um so he was over at texas before he moved to smu uh, i believe it was because he even though he's from he's from texas i'm not sure it was all to do with you know his, his playing ability because he's clearly immensely talented in man um he's throwing the ball all over the park having great fun with it um and uh, he's got a couple of good weapons as well 
uh, in the middle there. They've got a, a wide receiver, uh, Roy Roberson, I think his name is, who who is um, lighting up as well. You know, showing mm-hmm. what he can. Um, uh, Reggie Robertson, sorry, Reggie Robertson, and um, yeah, he's he's one of the top five receivers in the um, in college football at the minute, and that kind of uh, super athletic deep threat like Robertson, who kind of reminds me of almost like a young, uh, you could say like Deshaun Jackson. Um, okay. Yeah, he's that kind of like electric deep speed kind of player. Um, and they're almost a bit like the old um, Baylor offense. They really spread teams out, mm-hmm. and it's it's all it's all play action RPO stuff, mm-hmm. and then deep deep kind of um, shots to a wide receiver and in deep routes, and it is causing everyone trouble. Um, and um, they're a really fun team to watch. They've also got um, the they're the second um, most sacks in college football at the minute. So they're, they're getting on top of teams and then they're really going after them with a fast pass rush. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, that is a, a combination that's working brilliant right now. And um, they're looking pretty unstoppable. Yeah, they're blowing everyone away, aren't they, really? And, you know, in the uh, American Conference, you know, if you pull people at the start of the year, I don't think many would have chosen SMU to come out, come out on top of this one. And they're, you know, a couple of games ahead of everyone in the conference. You know, the, the next team back is, well, there's a bunch of teams that have won six games, UCF, Cincinnati and Navy. And you would say that those sort of teams will be the teams that will be ahead of SMU. Now, I mm-hmm. put out a poll a few days ago. Uh, I think it was after they played Houston on Thursday. I think it probably was on Friday morning, you know, to say that, you know, like you said, they've got Memphis, they've got Navy, they've got Tulane. So they've got a pretty big gauntlet to run. Oh, yeah. um, you know, and I, I just brought the poll one, two, three, or four wins for, for SMU for the rest of the season. And a lot of people have got faith in them. Um, there was 39% of the vote that went to four wins. So they've, they've obviously seen it. And maybe they're getting the respect now that they deserve because, you know, they've got, they're ranked 15. And, you know, people have got this faith in them that they showed when I put out this poll. So, yeah, definitely a good shout there. And, yeah, just shout out to Shane Boucherle, who, yeah, he's coming out of the shadow of Sam Ellinger. Obviously, um, was a Texas quarterback who Boucherle yeah. was the backup to last year after starting his first year. And yeah, yeah he's, he's sort of uh, having a better year than he ever had at Texas. Better year since his freshman year, numbers-wise. Yeah, exactly. And it's not easy. Yeah, it's never easy being that guy, is it? You know, like, um, so someone who has clearly been, you know, overshadowed or overlooked or whatever it is, but... Um, he's such a talented uh, young guy and he's got a good team around him um, you know uh, Sonny Dykes is a good head coach um, uh, and one player to watch as well they've got a really frisky linebacker Patrick Nelson who was actually a safety when he started at SMU he's now playing linebacker and he's got 10 sacks this year so he's, he's the second most sacks in college football than behind Chase Young I think mm-hmm. so um, and this is a, a guy who's like an athletic safety type. So um, he's having a great year with Shelley and he's got some really good players around him. So one to watch and people certainly should be giving them a bit more respect. However, as you mentioned, they've got some real tough games still mm. to play. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Uh, I'm going to move on to a team a little bit higher in the rankings, but a team that I just feel like he's never spoken about. This is Penn State, I'm going to mention. Ranked number five <laughs> in the nation right now. But when was the last time you ever heard anything about Penn State? And I think uh, I think one thing that I was kind of mentioning this, we're kind of guilty of this as well. We've we've not mentioned any one of Penn State's players throughout like mock draft where we've been talking about players. We've not mentioned the team as a whole, but they are flying along. And again, this is kind of, they're overachieving in the Big Ten a little bit for me. 
Um, they were ranked 15 at the start of the year, so obviously they've risen 10 places. Obviously a great programme. They've had a lot of good players coming out throughout the years. But um, yeah, I didn't expect them to be 8-0 at this point in the season. Uh, I'm just going to start with Sean Clifford, you know, sophomore QB, first year of start, playing absolutely brilliantly, looking after the football really, really well. Uh, he's only thrown three picks this afternoon, uh, this afternoon, this season. <laughs> um, I'd like to see his completion percentage go up a few bit, a few points. It's uh, around the low 60s, but you know, he's in sophomore season. He's he's playing for the first time as a starter. Obviously, back coming in uh, in place of Trace McSorley. And yeah, yeah, I think he's playing really, really well. Um, I think he's got a lot of promise and he's going to be one to watch next year when he becomes draft eligible for me. Over Mm. on the other side of D, I think, you know, they've got a couple of really good players. They've got uh, the cornerback Tariq Castro Fields, I think his name is. So it might be Fields Castro. I can't remember which way around it is. And obviously the pass rusher, uh, Yutur Gross-Matos, who again, someone that we didn't mention obviously throughout our mock draft, but a lot of people have been quite high. He's got a lot of sacks. He's got, you know, makes plays on the ball. Um, but I think they're just flying on the radar. I don't even see how it's possible when they're the fifth ranked team in the nation. I don't really understand. They haven't really blown anyone <laughs> away in the likes, you know, the, the way that Ohio State have or the way that Alabama have. Uh, but they ground out tough wins like they did, you know, against Michigan when they did the whiteout the other weekend, and then you know against Iowa. These are big, big games in the Big Ten between almost equally ranked teams. I would say, and Penn State have won them all. They're eight and zero. I'm flying along, and I think this is a, a team that you'll mention a little bit later on, but they're coming up against Minnesota uh, next weekend on Saturday, I believe, and they're two eight and eight teams going together, so it should be a fantastic game. What do you think of Penn State? Yeah, I, well, I think the thing with Penn State is that it can't be understated because they do have some good players. Mm. Um, you know, the, the QB you mentioned, I hadn't heard people talking about him in that kind of um, you know, progressing in the draft kind of thing. Um, but but he, like you said, he really does look after the football. Um, uh, he, he really um, understands that well. But they are one of these teams where undoubtedly it is in big part due to coaching. Um, mm-hmm. They are one of the most well-drilled um, teams in football. And I think what's wonderful to watch with Penn State is if you um, – if you turned, if you like blanked out all the names on the jerseys and didn't, and you know, had generic colours, um, what you would see without even knowing what team is on the field, you would know just from their scheme mm-hmm. exactly who is on the field. Because James Franklin's um, offence, that very distinctive, um, that kind of RPO style mm-hmm. where, the, where the running back and the quarterback are in quite a very distinctive stagger and the QB, if anyone wants to, is interested in the nitty-gritty tails, he, he often takes a, a step towards the offensive line at the mesh point, which is like a really rare mm. um, thing to do. And then their defense is like a classic 4-3, over, uh, 4-3 under defense. And mm-hmm. it's very, very um, – they, they, they basically run like only a couple of plays. They've got like a base cover four and then they – um, and then there's like, then they then they blitz, you know, kind of a cover zero type thing. Um, but they're so distinctive, and they've been doing the same thing now. I think this is James Franklin's sixth year, and the DC Brent Prize by his fourth season. Um, so between them, you know, they've got they've got a good thing going. It's working really well, um, and they put their players in a good position to win. Um, have you seen the tight end at all? The um, Pat Framuth, he, uh, he won the player. He won Player of the Week um, after his performance, or maybe it was a couple of weeks ago, not, okay. the, not last week. So they've got a really handy young tight end there. He's only um, he's only pretty young. I think he's about. I think he's a sophomore. Okay. Um, so he'll be certainly one who's um, draft, draft eligible. 
draft eligible in the future. Yeah, uh, sure. And as you mentioned, uh, Yutogros Matos, who uh junior as well, but he'll be in the draft this year. Mm. Oh, definitely. And and he's one of them who not exactly refined as a pass rusher, but a pretty elite athlete. And you yes. see him come off the edge and he looks scary at times, how quick and strong he looks. Yeah, definitely. He's long, he's lean. I think he plays a quite low pad level as well, which is quite good. Um, mm. But yeah, like you say, he definitely needs uh, some refinement. Uh, let me ask you this. Um, can Penn State make the final four? I think they're going to find it difficult, um, undoubtedly. Uh, as sure, much no, as I, Yeah, you know, obviously the, the season isn't over and they've still got some tough games ahead of them. Yeah, that's a given. Um, but obviously, they're also in the Big Ten East with Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, they even if they beat Minnesota this weekend, I think they'll beat Indiana, they'll beat Rutgers. But if they lose to Ohio State, I can't see how they're going to be put over one of the other one-loss teams. And that's the only problem with Penn State is that, you know, unfortunately, people talk about SEC bias, but also the, yeah. <laughs> the, the, SEC, the SEC is extremely strong. Yes, and, cool. um, and from a, a – yes, Penn State have had a very good year, but if they don't have a really good showing against the higher state, um, either by winning or losing a close game, mm-hmm. I think they're going to find it very hard to be a one-loss team above – either a Georgia or a Alabama or LSU. Um, yeah, you know, the, the history would tell us they're not going to get in. <laughs> sure. No, let me let me put it to you this way. So, in, and hear me out, it's, it's really unlikely, but I'm trying to find a way for Penn State's game. So, let's say, because obviously LSU and Alabama have got to play each other, so that'll be a one-loss SEC second-ranked yep. team. Mm-hmm. Then let's say Ohio State go and beat and they beat Penn State in a narrow game. So Penn State have only got this one loss, which is to number one ranked Ohio State, and it was a close game. What if Clemson lose to Wake Forest? Ooh. And then they're a, they're a one loss team who've then played no one. Could Clemson played no one? They played Wofford this week. They've not played anyone really who's ranked. They walk over the ACC. Can you make a state? Can you make a point? Uh, and you know, can you see that happening? Potentially, I, I think I think yeah. I mean, obviously, the big thing to say, Clemson's going to lose the way Forest. Yeah, the but, answer, yeah. <laughs> but I do agree. I think if they do lose that game, then I think yes, even a one-loss Penn State could get in. Um, and and from you know, if you ever look at Georgia's other games, like even if Georgia win out now, it's I kind of I think Penn State looked like a stronger side than Georgia today. Mm, I would say. Um, so. So it really is up to that OSU-Penn State game. And if it is close, it will be hard to discount them over other one-loss teams. Um, and um, I love what Jane Franklin's doing. I'd love to see them get an opportunity in the playoffs with a lot of young, talented players. Um, so uh, you never know, but it's going to be a tough road for them. It is a tough ask. I mean, I'd like I say, it's unlikely that, that Clemson will lose to Wake Forest, but it's the biggest possibility that I could see on their schedule. Um, but yeah, I would like to see it kind of mixed up a little bit. Obviously, you've got to put people on. I'm not talking about mix, mixing people up for the sake of it, for the college playoff, but I'd like to see a little bit of bit of variety in there, let's say that. And even if it was came at the expense of a one-loss Oregon team from that Auburn loss early on the season, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Penn State, you know, if they go, they go unbeaten or if they lose on this Oregon, uh, sorry, Ohio State in a very close game, then I think they could they could do deserve a shot if they if if it's fair, obviously. Yeah, and and especially if Minnesota, um, if they beat Minnesota and then Minnesota still um, win out after that point, mm-hmm. um, because Minnesota have got to play uh, Wisconsin 
Iowa and Wisconsin at the end of the year. Yes. And it is, it's, it's very possible that they can do that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, that would be a big bonus for them as well, is if they do beat Minnesota or um, the, if, if Minnesota continue to beat teams. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Um, moving on from that point, are they your next team that you need to mention or want to mention? Yeah, yeah. I think we have to talk about them. I know we're talking about all these um, unbeaten teams, but that's what we're here to do, you know, bring out the um, the love for some of these sides. Um, and Minnesota are another great example of a team who we're not talking about. Um, you know, it's kind of understanding. Uh, it's kind of understandable in a way. Again, um, they haven't beat as big teams as some of the others. You know, their biggest wins have come against uh, Fresno State, who have had a slightly disappointing year, um, and Nebraska. Um, but one of the big things to note with Minnesota is that they are, um, they've been dominating teams. They haven't really been scraping past, you know, they have been smashing the sides. Mm-hmm. Um, big part of it is the, is the defense. Um, it's good defense, which, um, has been holding, it's kind of top five, uh, lowest pass yards, um, from scrimmage, uh, of any team in college football. So a uh, very good pass defense. Um, one of the big reasons for that is because they don't commit too many people. And um, they do have some cover zero blitzes. Um, but a lot of the time they're doing the kind of base four, four rush package. Um, the big guy on the defense to mention, as I think uh, many people are aware, is um, Antoine Winfield Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a famous bloodline, older yeah, in the Winfield family. And it, when you look at him, I mean... <clears throat> He looks like an NFL athlete now. Yeah, he's, sure. <clears throat> he's huge for a, for a defensive back, um, and he moves as well as anyone. Huge hitter. Um, he actually reminds me of um, you know Dante Hitner, mm-hmm. um, Dante Whitner. Yeah, he um, you know he hits like that. He's like a train coming downhill. Um, really knocks people out, and he's also got five interceptions this year, which is the um, second most in college football. So he, he, you know, I don't think his lateral movement is is all there um, when he's going backwards necessarily. But he's one of those guys where you could put him into a team, and he could be a difference maker. And one of the other things with him as well, he got an interception this last weekend, um, and when he's running the ball back. He looks like a running back. He's he's massive. <laughs> um, so he actually is like a threat to go all the way when he does turn it over, which is um, – I, I kind of love to see that. It kind of adds a little dimension to the game. Um, so, uh, yeah, he's he's brilliant. Mm-hmm. And then the offense is is just uh, another example of a really, really well-schemed-up unit. Um, Tanner Morgan is a QB. And to be honest, you would barely know his name. <laughs> an eight and O team, it's like it's unbelievable. He, he's completing passes at a pretty good rate, you know, sixty-five percent completion rate, eighteen touchdowns, four interceptions. But realistically, it all comes off the back of the uh, run game. Uh, Rodney Smith is their number one running back. He's got um, best part of a thousand yards already this year, um, and he's um, he's doing it at about six yards a carry. I mean, they are their run game is so efficient, and it's it's um, it's quite interesting because their offensive line isn't particularly talented, but they run a gun outside zone scheme. It's almost like something that Joe Gibbs and the Redskins eighties would have been <laughs> proud of. It's um, it's a beautiful modern version of outside zone from the gun. Um, they, they run it so well and it's really their base play which they hang their hat on and um, and they're so efficient with it that it means that teams have to try and work to take it away and then when they do work to take it away they've then got a guy like Tyler Johnson on the outside who is for me the more and more film I watch of him I think 
he is a certainly a top kind of 50 talent uh, in this year's draft. Yeah, you're a big He's fan, been, aren't you? Well, I just keep watching film and keep thinking like, when he is in a one-on-one situation, he, he, he does that thing which, which I remember watching DeAndre Hopkins do at college, which is he takes the ball away from defensive packs. But when the ball's up there, he will snatch it if it's a 50-50. And it's something that is not seen a lot in college football because of how wide open things are, because of mm. how well-steamed things are. Uh, but he's one of them where he'll go up and take it away from you. And um, a true possession receiver. Yeah, um, yeah, on a negative slant, I suppose the guy who reminds me of is Corey Davis, which is, you know, <laughs> you know maybe That's some dirty <laughs> words. <laughs> yeah, I mean that hasn't worked out very well. But if you just want to compare film, mm. he looks just like Corey Davis. And I believe Corey Davis was, um, in fact, Corey Davis was, was Western Michigan, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, well, Western Michigan is the team that um, PJ Fleck, the head coach of uh, Minnesota, was at before. So he's using him in the exact same role. Uh, PJ Fleck turned around that Western Michigan team from like a two-win team to a 13-win team his final year there. And he's doing the same with Minnesota now. So another great example of scheming it up, um, although probably doesn't uh, – the Corey Davis comparison probably doesn't work too well <laughs> for Tyler Johnson. But, um, uh, but they're a fun team to watch. And um, as much as I don't think – I think they are going to struggle to beat Penn State, who are mm. – um, got better talent in the front six defensively. Um, they, I think they could win out the rest of the year. I think they could beat Iowa and I think they could beat Wisconsin. Yeah, i go along with that. I think the shine's been taken off Wisconsin a little bit, hasn't it, in the last couple of weeks since they were an unbeaten mm. team a couple of weeks ago. But yeah, no, I really like Tyler Johnson. Um, since I watched him in the summer, which, I mean, I watched him in the summer, I did my summer scouting and I was a little bit underwhelmed at the time. I wasn't too impressed with him. And I think we were talking about this the other day in our group chat. Yeah. I thought he was pretty raw. I think, I think he's got strong hands. And that's that DeAndre Hopkins uh, comparison is quite quite correct. I do think he suffers a concentration drops a couple of times. But obviously, what I've seen of him in the last couple of days as we've been sort of building up for this podcast and, and you're going to sort of talk about him, he's definitely improved. Um, I'm not ready to put him in sort of top five wide receivers yet or... So I'll say he's going to be a top 50 player. Uh, there's a lot of good wide receivers. Obviously, me and you have talked about this in the past. We've written articles yeah. about other wide receivers. Don't think I'm ready to go there on Tyler Johnson yet. But yeah, Minnesota are going well. And uh, obviously, he's having a great season. Anton Winfield, like you mentioned as well. He's having mm-hmm. a great season and obviously a very, very interesting prospect moving forward. Uh, so yeah, no, I think, like you said, I think you hit the nail on the head again with uh, the Penn State versus uh, Minnesota. I think Penn State have just got a bit more talent um, overall, I would say. And, uh, but they are young, which that. is funny. You know, they, they're not... They're, Penn State have got a lot of young players who aren't necessarily the most experienced college football players. So we'll see if that works negatively for them. But um, uh, it's going to be a good game. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to watching that, actually. Yeah, definitely. I think that's 5.30 on Saturday. So just a little sort of earmark for everyone who wants to on to watch that. So yeah, that'll be on early. Uh, and then set you up for the rest of the day uh, watching college football. One team you're definitely not going to be watching is my next team. And I'm coming at this in a different slant. Uh, this is a team that needs to be talked about more of how bad they've been, how sort of unexpectedly, <laughs> yeah, how unexpectedly bad they've been. This is Syracuse I'm going to talk about, who are now, you know, they were, they were ranked 22nd in preseason, second highest uh, ranking in the ACC, obviously behind Clemson. And now they're unranked, and uh, I don't have their record in front of me, but I believe they've only won a couple of games this year. And, you know, this is a massive shock. This is kind of what the Syracuse a couple of years ago were expected to be bad and were really good. 
Syracuse this year are the complete opposite. Um, they, I think, this optimism has stemmed from the fact that they were they were were they ran Clemson very very close last year in Clemson. Did, yeah. uh, it came down to the last play of the game. Did it go to overtime as well? I can't quite remember, but they, you know, it was kind of like, oh my god, this Clemson team is actually. You know they stick around. They're they're scrappy. They uh, can obviously play. Um, and prior to last season, they were voted the second, sorry, the seventh best team in the ACC, which is obviously not great at all. And then they finished. No. And then they won the Camping Bowl against West Virginia as well, and finished the season ranked 15. So obviously, they played very well last year. But this year, I think it all stems from the fact that they cannot protect Tommy DeVito. Tommy DeVito, the quarterback for Syracuse, is the most sacked quarterback in college football. He's been sacked wow. 48 times in eight games. That is oh unbelievable. And this is, a, this is another highly touted sophomore QB, a four-star recruit, went to Clemson. And for comparison, I was talking about Sean Clifford earlier. He's, he was also a four-star recruit coming into college. He's also a sophomore QB, sat in his first year uh, as a starter. And he's been sacked only 14 times. So I think they've got completely different circumstances and it shows with the way that they haven't been able to, in Tommy DeVito's uh, circumstance, been able to pilot their teams to victory. And uh, yeah, I just expected a lot more. I think a lot of people expected a lot more from Syracuse this season. And it's just it's just simply not happened. They're you know, right in the bottom, right in the bottom reaches of the ACC and kind of looking to start again. You know, they obviously need to rebuild, recruit that offensive line uh, to protect DeVito because obviously he's talented and he's kind of shown that in the, the games that I've seen uh, when I was kind of watching out Syracuse earlier on in the season. And I think there's a couple of other uh, a couple of other team, uh, a couple of other players, sorry, in their defense that uh, the the preseason buzz has completely died on, and that's Alton Robinson, mm. the the pass rusher. He was kind of being talked up as you know potential first round pick back in the first round, very talented but kind of troubled guy who transferred in uh, from junior college to Syracuse, and he's only got two sacks this season, and he, you know, it's just not just not happening. Andre Cisco as well as another talented defensive back who's just not just not lived up to expectation. So I think, uh, yeah, back to the drawing board for the Orange next year, unfortunately. Yeah, I think that's very fair. I think um, the Alton Robinson thing, I don't want to you know, hate on guys too much, but that was a... Um, uh, I remember watching the film and thinking, like, am I watching the right guy? This is, <laughs> this, you know, he, he doesn't... Not only does he not look like a first-round pick, I mean, he doesn't, he, he doesn't look like he can, he can be a pass-rushing... Um, he doesn't have any kind of pass-rushing ability that I was looking for. Um, certainly not that people have bigged up, and and they are um, they are disappointing. Last year, they their offense was was one of the best, um, highest ranked offenses in college football. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really enjoying some of the things they were doing. I thought that their kind of spread it out, um, aggressive uh, passing downfield uh, was something that we might um, you know they might grow into. They might do even more of as the kind of. Uh, as the as the years go on and they develop in that scheme, because mm-hmm. um, as you mentioned, they they had been a bad team previous and and they really picked it up a bit. Um, so um, I thought they they had something you know positive to look out for, but like you said, I think the the key there is the protection because the same things they were able to do last year, which involved um, you know uh, getting the ball out of the QB's hands. Um, on deeper passes, so taking a little bit longer to throw it and and waiting for longer routes to develop, they haven't been able to do that at all. And um, you know, Florida State's defense isn't great, um, but the first half uh, they complete. They, they, Syracuse barely had the ball, um, and a big part of that was because they couldn't 
set the QB. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think you've nailed the issue there. It certainly seems like an oversight from the coach's perspective that they couldn't find a way around that um, because uh, plenty of teams have um, problems or, or uh, don't know, uh, you know if their players are as as uh, good as the opposition and they find ways around it um, the best co- uh, the best coaches and uh, Syracuse haven't been one of those teams unfortunately no definitely not definitely not let's move on because uh, we don't want to be too negative let's move on to no, our last no. team <laughs> um, my last team I can't remember who they were who am I talking about San Diego State San Diego State yes <laughs> so um, San Diego State uh, if anyone knows anything about um, kind of San Diego State and, and what they've done in, in recent years, um, this is a team that um, had a pretty formidable um, offense uh, in recent years. They had a couple of great running backs come out of there, which is Danelle Pumphrey mm-hmm. um, and um, the Seahawks running back. Um, I've got his name now. Uh, Rashad Penny. Um, so those two guys are guys who, you know, they, they led a... Um, a, a really run heavy team. This is mm-hmm. the kind of team where they'll go under center. They'll have two tight ends, two running backs. Um, and, and Rocky Long, the head coach there is, um, you know, he's been doing it for about nine, 10 years, something like that. And he has a, a very clearly a kind of run down your throat philosophy mm-hmm. on, on offense where they're all about being very aggressive, running the ball as best they can. Um, and trying to give offenses something different to worry about, you know, yeah. something they're not dealing with on a day-to-day basis. Um, they beat uh, UCLA earlier this year, and um, uh, oh no, sorry, here's a better idea actually. Wyoming, one of the best defenses in college football, one of the most underrated defenses mm-hmm. in college football. They beat Wyoming earlier this year, um, and one of the big things was they ran straight down their throat. Wyoming was this this very talented front six who kind of people thought, oh, well, you know, this is the kind of side that uh, unless they're facing a, a much more highly ranked opponent, mm-hmm. um, um, because Wyoming beat Missouri early in the year, you know, yeah, it's a sure. very good team. Um, uh, but San Diego State came out and they just committed to the run. They only threw the ball uh, a few times and Juwan Washington kept pounding it, kept pounding it. And even though they didn't get the most kind of yards per rush, they had kind of 40 rushes and, and just ate up loads of clock um, uh, and really um, showed a different style of, uh, of football, which, you know, Wyoming probably weren't used to early in that season. Mm-hmm. But the, the thing that really um, you got to bring about San Diego State, so on offense, they've got a very, a very clear philosophy of what they want to do but it does mean they don't score many points um you know they've only kind of put up they only put up like kind of 20 points a week is the mm-hmm. is the kind of thing that we're looking at with this team yeah sure. offense they're they're not a super talented offensive team but they will eat the clock up and they will put up a few points but their defense is um top five run defense in football they're giving up less than 70 yards a game and rocky long has done this year in year out um, you know, he's led a defense who are incredibly aggressive and excellent tacklers. Mm-hmm. Now, from what I gather, from, yeah, so I've been reading into it and, you know, they've had a rolling load of DCs go through there. Um, the current DC is in his second year, I think. But every year, you know, they kind of get new DCs come through. But really, it's Rocky Long who is leading the way. And what they have is a very flexible 3-3 scheme where the linebackers are... 
um, designed with penetrating aggressively. They are you know, one gap team and, and the defensive linemen are, are not big. You're talking about guys who are like 260, 270 pounds, but they're attacking the shoulder mm-hmm. of, of guys. They're trying to get through gaps. Very good tacklers. Part of it is taught. Part of it is, um, is, um, recruited they actually mm. recruit guys who are better tacklers Fit their scheme yeah exactly yeah you know smaller quick guys um, who are willing to put their bodies on the line and it means that pretty much every week San Diego State are winning by one score yeah um, you know that's the nature of a team like this <laughs> a heavy run team with with an aggressive defense um, and they do give up big passes now and then because they put their guys on an island mm-hmm. um, but um, they're a fun team to watch. Uh, I, I've been wa- love watching them for years, and um, I actually kind of find them more fun this year without the kind of Danelle Pumphrey and and, uh, and Rashad Penny, that superstar that they've had on offense. I actually kind of like it now that they are winning without having much of an offense. And um, it's fun to see a, a team do this in 2019. Um, yeah, it goes and, against you know, the not- grain totally, doesn't it? Exactly, yeah. You know, beating teams like UCLA and Utah State. In fact, they lost to Utah State, just. Mm. Um, Jordan Love, probably his best game of the year. Um, but they're beating a lot of these spread offenses and um, looking at their schedule for the rest of the way, their hardest game is probably going to be Hawaii um, towards the end of the year. Fresno State and BYU are good as well. But um, you could be looking at um, a 10-11 win team here. Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah, um, so... Yeah, I'm enjoying watching them play football, and um, and uh, if anyone wants to see a schematic defensive masterclass, then uh, then go have a look at what Rocky Long's doing because every single year they're one of the best run defenses in football. There you go. Then you can't get better than that as a recommendation. You know, if anyone wants to learn about the game and learn about the sort of intricacies of defense, then yeah, I'd I'd, I'd suggest back uh, you know, sort of looking at that and uh, taking that in. Because, yeah, they've snuck into the top 25 now. And obviously, before the start of the season, no one would have sort of put the money on that, I would have said. And, uh, yeah, top of the Mountain West Conference. And, like you said, only lost to Utah State very, very narrowly by a point, I believe it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, super unlucky. But, um, yeah, no, another team that, yeah, definitely needs more attention sending their way. Um, obviously, we've been a big fan of Boise State out in the Mountain West um, for a couple of their players and the way that they've gone about things. Obviously, John Love, as we've just mentioned, gets a lot of the tension over there. Uh, but yeah, actually, yeah, San Diego State, who sit at the top of that conference. Jordan Love had a, a tough week this weekend. Did you see um, Air Force they were up against? I didn't, but we um, marked this as uh, a big game for him, didn't we? Oh, uh, a yeah, ago. But I was moving house, so I have not it seen was, it. It was tough. By half time, uh, they were 17 nil down and they had like 13 yards or something. Oh, wow. Because they just. Yeah, they just didn't have the ball. Like, all the first half, they just didn't have the ball. Um, you know what that Air Force offense is like? Yeah. Grinding <laughs> the clock down. And, uh, and it was just a couple of three and outs to start the game. Um, and, and again, you, as you get with Utah State, it was, it was drops. It wasn't like he mm. was playing badly. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but, um, but that will be one at the end of the year. You know, which kind of could look bad on his record, especially with um, the way Joe Burrow's playing and some of these other quarterbacks. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I've just flicked over onto the <laughs> the stats of this game, and Air Force completed two passes, but put up thirty one <laughs> points. That's incredible. But yeah. yeah, no, like you say, I think it'd be nice to see Jordan Love in a more talented offense because, like we said, I think we've been sort of bemoaning his drops. Um, all season it feels like at least you know 
his offensive sort of wide receivers and receivers in general just letting him down. You know, because he lost Dax Raymond, he lost the yeah. running back who I'm blanking on last year. Yeah, they, they uh, lost some good players, definitely. Yeah, lost some talent. But yeah, no, going to come back. And obviously, I think if we can kind of see him sort of in the pre-draft process uh, with more talented players around him, I think he'll kind of shine through. And yeah, I think we've been sort of nailing him on for a first-round pick, haven't we, the whole time when we had him in our, our mock draft. Yeah. I think we both, uh, when we published our articles earlier in the week, which, by the way, if you haven't read, uh, both Maxwell and I did uh, a couple of mock draft articles, which sort of backed up the uh, mock draft post- podcast that we did last week. Uh, if you've not seen them, go over to fullsenyards.com, go in the college section and have a read of them. I think we both got John Love as a first-round pick. So that kind of wraps up this section. Um, yeah, we're just kind of, like I said, earmarking sort of teams that we need to sort of look into more. A couple of good recommendations there. So look at a good defence in San Diego State. I would definitely recommend doing that because obviously you've not been able to Maxwell's timeline and seen the lovely video stuff that he's done, doing. Uh, I know he was talking up, like you said, mentioned before, you were talking up uh, Justin Herbert, which I very much enjoyed earlier on in the mm. week. Um, but yeah, no, speaking of talented college football players such as Justin Herbert, uh, there's some big news coming out of the NCAA, which we, we just want to touch on. We'll kind of go through this in more detail once we have done a bit of research on it, I guess. Uh, but the NCAA have kind of, I don't want to say caved in, but definitely changed their stance on players being able to profit from their likenesses. Now, obviously, this is something that's been uh, talked about most of the college football season. Obviously, this uh, judge in California passing this law to say that this can be possible in California. The NCAA came back and said this would give Californian schools a big advantage. And now it seems like it's going to go national. Um, what's your kind of, obviously, knee-jerk reaction to this almost? Because obviously, it has just broken in the last couple of weeks, a uh, couple of hours, sorry. But what do you kind of think of this on the face of things? Yeah, so, you know, early thoughts are um, just kind of, yeah, summarising. Um, What's happened here, you know, we've got um, obviously a, a big, big change um, now that, that players can um, pop profit from this. It really changes it from what is essentially a um, amateur sport to basically what is a professional sport mm-hmm. overnight yeah. um, and very much blurs the lines between, um, you know, what it may be to be a college athlete in the future. Mm. Um, so, you know, California took the early steps there. Um, now we're about to see how this has knock-on effects for all of these sports in, um, you know, empowering individuals, but also opening them to the market and what is professional sports. Yeah, definitely. No, I think it's going to get really interesting. I think it's going to help out a lot of people. I also think it could have a few negative connotations for a few people as well, which obviously we've got to be aware of. Um, but I, I think I've said it in the past myself. I. You know, I think it's pretty open that this kind of thing happens anyway. The players are paid in in certain ways anyway, so it may make might make mm. it may make it a bit of a more level playing field. <clears throat> Excuse me. And one person who is particularly worried about this is uh, the Clemson coach Dabo Sweeney, who has come out and he said that he'll quit college football if this does actually go ahead. Which, when I'm talking about asking you for your knee jerk reaction, that's obviously a massive knee jerk reaction from him. Um, and that would be obviously a massive loss for college football, a massive loss for Clemson. But whether he'll actually do it is remains to be seen. I think the the angle that he was coming at with that comment is that it does make it a professional sport. And he said that he would rather, you know, if he's going to coach professional football, then he'll coach professional football and he'll go to the NFL, which could be a massive boost for the NFL. But um, but I think, yeah, like I say, I think we'll leave that one there. We'll uh, dive into that one a little bit later on in the season. Probably when more sort of, 
more, th- more things have come out about it and we can develop our opinions a little bit more, done a bit more research. But yeah, something definitely to uh, sort of bear in mind that we'll definitely be talking about in the coming weeks. Mm. I think um, selfishly what a lot of people have uh, concluded off the back of this news is that the uh, NCAA football game might come back. <laughs> so, at least that's something a few of us fans over here can get to bonus on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I'll definitely be uh, waiting with bated breath for that one. I was listening to the po- uh, just on that uh, note, I was listening to the podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago. And one of the presenters had kind of a contact within the sort of uh, game development world. And he said that the person who he was speaking to said that they could make the game tomorrow. It's just they're not allowed because of this ruling. So, yeah, it could very well be back, uh, you know, mm. if this ruling does go through. So, yeah, watch, watch this space, I guess. There you go. Interesting. Yeah, very much so. Uh, and like I say, we'll dive into that uh, a little bit later on in the season. Uh, so yeah, we'll leave it there. Uh, no, really, really good podcast yet again. Just want to point everyone who's listening uh, just towards the subscribe, follow, rate, review, and retweet buttons. And don't forget to share us because uh, we thank you for your support. But we just want to spread the love a little bit more just so that more people hear us and we, we can build college football in this country because obviously we both enjoy it. And we know that plenty of other people do as well. Um, Another thing is obviously go over to our Twitter handles and give us a follow as well. So my handle is at Wakefield90. You can find Maxwell and all his great video content at A underscore winning smile. Well, sorry, sorry, I've completely butchered that. Do you want to give it? It's all right. Oh, it's, 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 yeah, it's <laughs> a, a winning smile with all underscores in the middle. So That's a much better. They'll find me, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm often retweeting all your videos and all your other tweets that you're putting out as well. And one last signpost for everyone is... Uh, here at the Full 10 Yards, we have got a little partnership going with NFL Shop Europe. If you do want 10% off, we do have a discount code for you. Uh, that's Full 10. Just pop that in when you're doing your checkout and you'll get 10% off. And we also have a Fnatic 5% code off. And that is uh, Fnatics. This is all in capital letters. Fnatics A-F-F-I-L. So Fnatics Affil for 5% off at your Fnatics checkout as well. Um, so yeah, get you get your discounts, uh, get them in there, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll leave it there. We'll be back next week for another exciting episode of the Fulton Yards podcast. So uh, yeah, goodbye from Maxwell. Yep, thanks for your time. And uh, yeah, we'll see everyone on the other side. Play the outro music. Thanks for listening to the podcast. For all your football needs, check out our website fulltenyards.com or follow us on Twitter at Full 10 Yards CFB. And remember, keep those eyes peeled.